0: Welcome to our Ecclesia study where we investigate the claims of the Bible. For many people, one of the main deterrents to accepting the teachings of Jesus is the noticeable disconnect between what Jesus taught and what many self-professed Christians say and do. As we investigate the Bible, we look into how C.I. Schofield and his reference Bible have influenced literally thousands of evangelical pastors and millions of evangelical Christians into fervently believing that the modern state of Israel is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy and should be revered and supported without question in spite of its undemocratic and inhumane treatment of both christian and muslim palestinians for over 60 years of occupation our study leader is mark horton president of ultra clean corporation and a diligent student of the bible our reader is we hold these truths faithful volunteer and dramatist leslie Ford. thanks for joining in our quest In today's Christ Followers Bible Study, we're in the book of Acts. We're continuing on. We're in chapter 17. We'll be starting at verse 5. We're following Paul and Silas in their travels, and we'll open with a word of prayer. Leslie, would you lead us, please?
1: Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we have together. I pray that while we are learning more and more of your word, that you will help us to rethink what we've learned before and be courageous in our sharing the gospel as we have learned here. Thank you for the teaching, and we ask your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And good evening,
0: Mark.
2: Hi, Tom. It's always good to be back with this um, group that has... uh... Been working together for a number of years here. We're trying to uh, examine the scriptures to understand why Christianity, churchianity in America is so confused and at such conflict and committing, uh, in some cases, such great crimes against humanity. We've been looking at the book of Acts for some time. We have just finished up the 16th chapter where uh, Paul and Silas, Luke, uh, Timothy, their their uh, party has uh, helped create the first group of believers in the continent of Europe, and uh, Philippi, where they were, was a was an area where there was no synagogue or, or gathering of Judeans to read the scriptures. There was an informal group, but they didn't have a formal structure or possibly a complete set of uh, scriptures. But and they they were a disparate group from Lydia, presumably a Judean woman uh, from Asia Minor, and then the Philippian jailer, in all likelihood one of the first Gentile converts who had no previous exposure to the uh, Hebrew Scriptures. That group of very different people became a rock solid group, and we'll see this is. Uh, likely because there was no synagogue there, as we're going to see from chapter 17 onward, the Judean people become the number one enemy of the gospel uh in Thessalonica, Berea, uh, and so on. But uh leaving this group behind in Philippi, they did not suffer from the intense Judean persecution that we're going to see in Thessalonica. The letters written later back to the church in Thessalonica are all about helping them deal with Judean persecution. The letters written back to Philippi, the letter written back to Philippi that we have, is, is just a letter of thanksgiving that they are solid, that they serve as an example for other groups of believers, that they have been sending financial support to Paul over and over whenever he needs it. So, in many ways, we've just left behind a very exemplary group of believers. And now we've moved on to Thessalonica, the chief city of Macedonia, upper Greece, lower Greece, Achaia. Uh, he'll be heading to, to there later. But here there is a synagogue, and he goes in for three Sabbath days and uh, teaches the gospel, Jesus Christ, and the hope of Israel from the Hebrew scriptures showing how the Messiah should have suffered and been raised from the dead and that this Jesus of Nazareth is the promised uh, king the or Christ, the anointed one, who would reestablish David's throne by implication there. A few Judeans here believe it's a little bit different than what, occurred in Asia Minor, Galatia, and and the places where they've been thus far in present-day Turkey, where large numbers of the Judeans believed, and an even greater number of the God-fearing Greeks. Here, some Judeans believed, but a great multitude of the devout Greeks, or Greek-speaking non-Judean people, and their chief women uh, believed. So... It's 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 an even more overwhelming ratio of Gentile to Judean here than we've seen before. We've already seen it provoke jealousy back in uh Antioch and Pisidia, but uh here we're gonna see what happens here. Uh we'll start a reading here in verse five and read uh verses five through nine please.
1: But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And coming upon the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. And when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also. And Jason was welcomed, has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And they stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things, and when they had received a pledge from Jason and others, they released them.
2: All right, thank you. So, there, even though there is, as always, a righteous remnant amongst the Judean community, He's categorizing the Judeans as the ones who were stirred to envy here in verse 5. And uh, uh, most commentators, particularly dispensational commentators, completely gloss over the fact that this is intense Judean persecution. And that th- that's the context of nearly the entire New Testament is intense Judean persecution. Persecution of Christ and his body, his, his new temple of, of believers, um, they're stirred to envy. This is a fulfillment of what Moses prophesied as God, of course, uh, moved him to speak back in the, uh, in the Song of Moses, which we find back in at the end of Moses' life on earth. Deuteronomy 31 and 32, and let me see if I can find it quick enough here in that passage. But anyway, he says, "I will, I will move this people to jealousy with uh, those who are not a people, and, and and that just means people that were not in a covenant relationship with God, and this is exactly what we see happening here in Thessalonica." The Judeans are moved to jealousy by these... Yeah, that's in uh, Deuteronomy 32, verse 21. They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have exasperated me with their idols, and I will provoke them to jealousy with them that are no nation. I will anger them with a nation void of understanding. Um And so this is exactly what has happened in fulfillment of Moses' prophecy uh, here in Acts 17. Oftentimes, the uh, New Testament writers will quote things written after Judea was completely and utterly destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. and apply that to the 1st century A.D. We have uh, Lamentations... Two. Uh, this is, is the book lamenting the utter destruction of the nation in 586 BC by the prophet Jeremiah, and he basically talks how Israel has become the enemy of Yahweh uh, here in in Lamentations two. Um, it's uh, it's pretty brutal reading. But so I'm not I'm not really gonna go there now, but really the whole chapter is talking about the utter destruction and how that basically there Judah is the enemy of God. Another one that we have is Isaiah six nine. This will be quoted again at the end of Acts when Paul was meeting with all the leaders of the Judean synagogues of Rome. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Whom will go for us? and then I, I being Isaiah, says, here am I, send me. And he said, uh, tell this people, hear indeed, but you don't understand. See, but but do not know. Make the heart of this people fat and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed." And then said, I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitants, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. Um, So, even though Isaiah is writing this 100 years before the 586 B.C. destruction, Paul quotes it at the end of Acts to basically tell the first century Judeans what's about to happen to them again because they have become... The enemy of God instead of the covenant family of God. So we're seeing kind of a turning point here as we go um, here into Thessalonica, and hopefully this answers a little bit of Chuck's question from last week. <laughs> the 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 messianic uh, Jewish community and others of that ilk today, they they continue to follow the physical things of the physical nation of Israel before it was utterly destroyed, the things that Paul tells us were just shadows of the true Israel, the true spiritual Jerusalem and so on. And and so I see that being their uh their great error today. Mark um, uh, yeah.
3: is this a good time or not? Sure. Um here again, we get the we we bump into this confusing word Jews J E W S, which my King James has it in verse uh, in 17:1, and Leslie read that, and and uh, you you sort of transpose that into Judeans, um, as we have observed was the uh, term that was properly used in Judea, but here you are in Thessalonica, and these people don't live in Judea, they live in in, in, in Greece, so in the interest of would it, would it be uh, erroneous or, or incorrect to call those to, to, to refer to those people as Israelites, or what what would the original Greek word have been there in that uh, in that hmm. particular use? Do you know?
2: Was so it, well, you, the original Greek word is Eudaos and that is translated Judean uh, in English. Of course, it was changed to Jewish in
3: Conveniently the Middle
2: yeah, Ages uh, in English, but but it represented a nationality, and of course, uh, we would find... Uh, yeah, Vietnam is an excellent example. Um, the nation of Vietnam was utterly laid waste in the 1960s and 1970s, and... Uh, the country is now reconstituted, but vast numbers of the Vietnamese people were scattered um, throughout the, you know, particularly around the United States. You can go to any major city in the U.S. and find a Vietnamese community, Vietnamese restaurants, Vietnamese everything. Now, most of these people are American citizens. But they're still Vietnamese. Their nationality is Vietnamese. So mm-hmm. that is the sense in which these people were Judeans, even though they lived in Thessalonica and throughout the Roman Empire. The vast majority of the Judean people, after the 586 B.C. destruction, did not go back to Palestine. They 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 just dispersed through the uh, the Babylonian Empire, which became the Persian Empire. Which then was conquered and absorbed by the uh, Macedonian Empire of Alexander the Great, which was then absorbed into the Roman Empire, and so they have they have just dispersed throughout that empire, and they've been dispersing like that for uh, 500 years. Um, and less than uh, I mean, less than six percent of them came back to Palestine to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. So they're Just like the Vietnamese are scattered all over, the Judeans have long been scattered all over. And the Hellenistic Judeans, the ones who spoke Greek, far outnumbered the Aramaic uh, ones who spoke Aramaic or what they call Hebrew. But it really wasn't Hebrew. It was Aramaic, the language of Babylon, where they were taken into captivity. So... uh, these greek speaking judeans are everywhere in every major city of the roman empire and uh paul is trying to reach their centers of activity or synagogues to find the righteous remnant in each one so that they uh, and the 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 non judeans that they've gathered together who they've been teaching about the true God of Israel, and and he's going to take that righteous remnant of Judeans plus the righteous Gentiles that they have gathered around them, and he's going to show them the gospel and, and uh, how they're going to be baptized, and then he's going to give them enough training so that they then can become the uh, nucleus of, of God's new spiritual Israel in that area, and, and then start spreading it out, not necessarily to the Judeans. They've had their chance. Once Paul goes in and gives the gospel to them for three weeks and demonstrates from the scriptures clearly, once they reject that, there's not a lot of uh, example that anyone ever worries about them again. They've had their chance to believe. The focus, once the, the Judeans have their initial chance to believe, then the focus turns to the other nations. But always Paul is going to go in, he's going to gather that righteous remnant, which is becoming a smaller and smaller minority as they're in Thessalonica, and the the God-fearing Gentiles who have been studying the Hebrew Scriptures, they're going to become the nucleus of the new spiritual family in these cities. Thank you. All right, so um, this persecution starts. Uh, we see, as we saw in Philippi, how a small number can assemble a mob and set the city into total chaos and try to overthrow the, the Roman peace, the Roman law that was the norm throughout the Roman Empire. Thessalonica was a self-governing, independent city. There, wasn't, there weren't soldiers in the city There were just a a very small number of officials, these politarchs, which were unique to that part of Macedonia, uh, who were responsible for maintaining order. And uh, this chaos was very much out of the ordinary. We can see how a small group of rabble-rousers, or demagogues, as they're called, uh, stirrers of the masses can stir up uh, chaos and anarchy. And so they try to... uh, have Jason, uh, who I, I believe he's the one that hosts the synagogue there, uh, or his house adjoined the synagogue there. But anyway, he they tried to have him punished um, just through mob action. And they kind of refer to Paul and Silas and the party as those who have turned the whole world upside down. <laughs> They've now arrived here as well. And they try to lay the charge of sedition against Caesar, against these people. This is the first specific time where we see this being used after the trial of Jesus uh, himself against the believers, against his new spiritual body, uh, being used here again. So this, of course, worried the the officials. But instead of uh, killing or beating or anything, Jason and the other local citizens, they they received uh, money from them to as a bond to ensure there would be no more uprisings or civil disturbances and then, and then let them go. All right, any thoughts or comments then on that uh,
1: they, uh, My translation says these men have, who have upset the world have come here also, but I think the other translation says they've turned the world upside down. Is that right?
2: I've heard that before. I do not see that uh, right here in my translation, but see, I'm not in the right Mm -hmm. place, probably. But yeah, I've heard that, too. I'm sure that's in Mm -hmm. some of the translations. Let's see here. I'll check it one more time. Yeah, the King James has that. These Mm -hmm. that have turned the world upside down have come here also.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Which is a pretty awesome thing for a band of people to upset the world. Yeah, Uh, I have two of the literal.
2: Yeah. Uh, Two of the literal Greek translations. One says, uh, Those turning the habitable world upside down have come here also. And another one says, These having put the world in commotion are also here present. So the Greek apparently did convey something very, very similar to what the King James has in in that verse. And, of course, this uh, this is what we would expect if the prophecies of Daniel were actually being fulfilled in the first century where it says that the kingdom of God will start off as a little pebble but then will become a huge stone that eclipses and crushes all the kingdoms of the earth so that that uh, to me that compares admirably with the idea of turning the world upside down yeah. Yeah. okay so um, Paul and Silas are not going to end up staying in Thessalonica very long let's go to the next paragraph verses 10 through 15 and read that please
1: And the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily, to see whether these things were so. Many of them therefore believed along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea also, they came there likewise, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. Now those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed.
2: All right, thanks. Mm -hmm. So they've they've left Thessalonica uh, very quickly, but he's going to send back members of his party. He's got an entourage with him. Luke presumably has stayed at Philippi. He's going to get some of these other people back to Thessalonica. They all had to leave apparently at first. Um, He's going to leave Silas to Timothy and Berea when he leaves there. He's got enough of an entourage that they can keep on teaching after uh, Paul has to depart. And these men had very special uh, gifts from God. Uh, prophetic gifts, uh, powerful, miraculous gifts of, of languages, of, of perfect recollection and memory, uh, things of that nature. Uh, Timothy, it said, was overflowing with the gifts of the Spirit. So these are particularly well-armed men to, to carry on this spiritual warfare uh, that is going on there. And they're working as a team uh, trying to continue the growth of these infant communities of believers in all these cities at the same time, um, leaving Thessalonica after a short time, the, the the Christians there are already under great duress, having to had to post a bond that there would be no more disturbance. They are, as we we assume, and is often completely missed by most commentators today. They're still working within the synagogue community uh, to a certain extent. Uh, In the eyes of the Romans and the Greeks who are not believers, I mean, these are all uh, Judeans uh, by religion, if not nationality. And uh, they are probably meeting separately uh, on the first day of the week, but they're also probably attending synagogue on Saturday so they have access to the scriptures, which would have been uh, too expensive to uh you know to have a, a, another copy of for for a long time so they're they're there in the shadow, if not within the midst of the synagogue community they've got the evil eye on them as they're trying to operate and learn and grow, and the letters again written to Thessalonica, the first second Thessalonians are all about enduring in the face of of just bone-crushing persecution uh, from the Judean uh, leadership in that town. And they're longing for Christ to come and set things straight. Uh, And this is what Paul is talking about in his letters back to uh, Thessalonica. But, But Paul has to leave that behind for now. And uh, he gets to the next city that has a synagogue, which is Berea, uh, I don't know, 50 miles or something down the road. And here they they find a, a larger group that's open-minded, so, like some of the groups they had found uh, in Galatia, Cilicia, and those areas of present-day Turkey. They find some open-minded Judeans who are seeing how Christ is the fulfillment of all Scripture and uh, they're studying the scripture daily with Paul to see if what he's saying are true. So many of the Judeans, as opposed to just a few in Thessalonica, believed. And just as in Thessalonica, a large number of uh, the upper class Greek women and men also added as an afterthought. <laughs> uh, so some wealthy Greek women who had already been attracted to the God of Israel, you know, accepted the uh, the gospel, accepted Jesus as the Messiah. And the, other, the thing that, that they're accepting that Paul is preaching that is so distressing to the Judeans and the synagogue leaders is the fact that these Gentiles are now admitted into the community of God as equal, as full equals with the Judean men who have enjoyed uh, supremacy, almost absolute supremacy, for 1,200 years. Um, Both non-circumcised men now are, are equal, men and women who do not practice the dietary restriction law of Moses. They are no longer required to become proselytes by adopting circumcision and the kosher diet, as it's called today. Uh, which were the two things that distinguished them from the Greek community at large. Language didn't. They all spoke Greek. But but the the diet and the practice of circumcision separated the Judean communities from the other Greeks in their their towns. And now Paul is preaching a gospel that's claiming that these uh, Greek people are equal participants of God's favor and blessing uh, and have just as much standing as a as a male Judean who's been circumcised and who's made the trek back to the temple in Jerusalem. So this, as we've seen, this has great appeal to those who have not been circumcised or not adopted the diet from the law of Moses and it provokes uh, Jews to jealousy uh, at the same time. But, uh, it's going pretty good there, but the Judeans back at Thessalonica hear what's been, what's going on in Berea, and they send their best troublemakers apparently over there to, uh, cause riots just as they had done in their own hometown. And Paul's immediately, uh, sent off, uh, out of town. Uh, I guess they're, they, they're trying to, uh, Eliminate the cause of the controversy before it starts, before it can escalate to what happened in Thessalonica, and that they're able to leave Salazar and Timothy there, uh, which again indicates they must have been somewhat successful in taking the eye of suspicion off of the synagogue community there, letting the Thessalonicans go home, and uh, and uh, the study will continue under. The guidance of Silas and Timothy there while Paul makes his way to, uh, to Athens. Any other thoughts on this paragraph?
1: Well, uh, figuratively speaking, you could call them the lions out of Judah.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Christ, of course, fulfills all those prophecies of the Lion of Judah, and these these are his body. I mean, so yes, they are part of the Lion of Judah, uh, very mm-hmm. much so, but uh, not often uh, attributed to them. But it's a very good fit, uh, excellent thought there. Okay, so now uh, Paul is going to go to Athens, and let's read verses 16 through 21, please.
1: Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was beholding the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. And some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. 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 Okay, sorry, I'll have to do that while yeah. i again. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus.
0: Not a hairy octopus. <laughs> <laughs>
3: that was close enough, Tom. Let's not get too
1: <laughs> Yeah, but I'm,
0: I'm closer than you are, Chuck. <laughs> We're only two feet apart. Okay, try that again.
1: What did the octopus uh, say to the girl octopus? I want to hold your hand, 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 hand. <laughs> okay. Never mind. Okay. Uh, verse 19. And they took him and brought him to the areopagus. Aerop- aerop- aer- aer- I told you, Tom.
0: Areopagus.
1: Areopagus. Areopagus. Okay. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. We want to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new.
2: Now, in my mind, I was thinking for many years that Athens had no synagogue. But here it's written quite plainly. There is a synagogue that has the normal Judean community and the larger group of God-fearing Greeks who have surrounded uh, the Judean community to learn from their scriptures of the true God and creator of the world. Uh, but apparently, for whatever reason, there just must not have been the, um, opportunity or, or, or righteous remnant or whatever happened in most synagogues because Paul did not linger there. He didn't leave helpers there. There is no letter or reference to any letters being written to a church at Athens. There's no stories of conversion there. So it was a place, uh, a uh, very different culture, maybe something akin to Washington D.C. today, um, which could be the most immoral city in all of human history. But that's, uh, you know, I I can't answer that. Only God can answer that for sure. But I've I've heard a few people make a very elegant case that that is in fact uh, the the sad situation.
3: Amen from the peanut gallery. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, well, but the
1: Parthenon would overshadow the synagogue in Athens, no doubt.
2: Oh, no doubt. Yeah. But uh, it—I mean, it, it as well as physically overshadowed it. It must have also philosophically uh, overshadowed it. And then the, the Epicurean and Stoics are mentioned here uh, in the passage. So they—they they just, uh, for whatever reason, there was no opportunity here that Paul got excited about he's just there waiting he's you know Paul uh, Silas and Timothy are there bolstering the new believers in Berea and uh, they may have even gone back to uh, Thessalonica before they rejoin him so he's got to wait there a lot of people um, a lot of scholars think he was probably in Thessalonica only a few weeks Three to six weeks at most, and then he's got to wait like two months uh, in the winter of the year there in Athens, uh, perhaps before he can move on, waiting for them to rejoin him. So he's there waiting, and he he's just irked at the at the uh, false religion that just emanates out of the city. <laughs> and again, we could say the same thing about. Washington D.C. today, <laughs> uh, but don't want to go there really. <laughs> but he's trying to find people of like mind who who should be just as offended. Uh, he he goes to the synagogue to uh, to talk to the Judeans and the God fearing uh, Greeks, and then he's also going into the agora, which would be the public uh, marketplace day by day and trying to strike up conversations. The local philosophers, I mean this is the seat of Greek philosophy, the, the uh the origin of the Epicurean Stoic schools of philosophy and they they can't understand this guy Paul at all. He's preaching the gospel of Jesus and the resurrection. I mean it's it's just like Greek to them. Even though they understood Greek, they can't understand what Paul is talking about in the Greek language <laughs> because there's, they have there's yeah. no
1: respect for them. That's for sure,
2: right? And, and again, we 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 have tended to take for granted this huge community of God-fearing Greeks that God has providentially been preparing for a hundred years throughout the Roman Empire. And that community, I guess, was just weak in Athens. But when you get outside of that community, I mean, there's no, there's nothing to talk about. You have no common ground. And it would be the same today for people that have absolutely no knowledge of the Bible. They didn't go to Sunday school when they were kids. They never heard God mentioned in their home growing up. They don't have any confidence in the Bible. They've never looked at it. I mean, it's extremely hard to strike up a conversation with such a person you just have nothing at all in common with them and and Paul's ideas had little in common with anything that the Epicureans and the Stoics knew or understood or thought valuable in the world they could just understand that he was talking about some god that was different than any of the gods that had been worshipped or acknowledged in Athens they did That's like the to hear yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah okay <laughs> they they did like to hear new things, I mean you know philosophy is all about just talking about deep things uh you know if you have the luxury to do that, they did apparently they they grabbed him and brought him up to the Areopagus, which is mars hill um uh I believe is how it's translated, and uh there were temples up there, but this is where the philosophers like to exchange uh, ideas. And, uh, they wanted to know, uh, what his new teaching was, and we would like to understand what they mean. And then, yeah, verse 21 tells us that these, uh, these philosophers that had gathered in Athens, both locals and foreigners who gathered with the philosophers there, this was their favorite thing. <laughs> Favorite way to spend their time uh, was to hear and tell the latest novelty. Uh, Let's see, any? Yeah, they had a. Could you
3: refresh us on the Epicureans and the Stoics? Epicureans like to eat eat good food, and the Stoics ate cardboard. Or,
2: (laughs) well. I guess that's a simplistic thing. I've got some background information here. The uh, Stoics claimed that a man of Cyprus named Zeno, who lived around 300 BC, was their founder. They were called Stoics because they met in the painted colonnade or Stoa porch in the Agora where Zeno had habitually taught in Athens. They... uh, they tried to live consistently with nature and they placed great emphasis on rational thinking and individual self sufficiency. Their religion was a pantheistic, God being regarded as the world soul, kind of like Mother Gaia, I think, uh, today. They believed in a kind of a new world order. They thought all true, truly free souls had equal rights, and they tried to break down national and class distinctions. It was, at its best, marked by great moral earnestness and a high sense of duty. Uh, They did recommend suicide if you could not maintain your life with dignity or if you had lost your uh, honor. So that's kind of an overview of the Stoics. Uh, as uh, I'm reading from F.F. F. Bruce's commentary. Now, on the Epicureans, he says it was founded around the same time by Epicurus, who was uh, from an Athenian family who had settled on the island of Samos. He built, uh, or they built their theory on the atomic physics of Democritus, and they presented pleasure as being the chief goal of life. Mm. They wanted the pleasure of tranquility. They wanted to uh, avoid pain, disturbing passions, anything that might cause you to be upset or annoyed. They did not deny the existence of gods, but maintained that the gods took no interest in the life of human beings. Uh, these these two philosophies represented alternative attempts in pre-Christian paganism to come to terms with the meaning of life. Post-Christian paganism has never been able to devise anything any better than what the Stoics and Epicureans came up with. Although they did differ quite a bit from each other, they at least agreed that this new message from Paul was not one that would appeal to reasonable people.
1: (laughs) Right,
2: <laughs> so there was apparently a court that met up on the on Mars hill uh Ares being the Greek name for uh Mars, the Roman god Mars, the hill of Ares Areopagus, and uh it was a bunch of the elders of Athens that uh had jurisdiction over matters of religion and morality, and they convened up here on this. Little Hill, which was southwest of the main Acropolis, where, of course, the Parthenon is. That's where we're at, and that's who is standing there.
1: You didn't make much of a dent with those people, apparently. Like you said, uh, that's interesting.
2: Yeah, we have no historical record of it. We've been going, what, 42 minutes or so. This is kind of a long passage here, so I think it would likely break right here. Uh, and pick up at verse 22 next time.
3: Okay, once again another great study and thanks for everybody's input.
0: Thanks for listening. Be sure to tell a friend about our podcast and please visit our website, whtt.org. You will find a wealth of information and resources like the latest Pharisee Watch and unheralded news articles. Also, you can order our new video Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Even though this video is copyrighted, we don't mind if you copy it, as long as you copy all of it. Then you can educate your friends and acquaintances about the dangers of Christian Zionism. Start small, think big, and press on toward the straight gate.